I would like to begin this podcast by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which we record and pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. All opinions and discussions on the podcast are purely individual experience, so please consult a doctor or medical professional for more information. Welcome to the Shake It Up Show, a podcast in partnership with Shake It Up Australia Foundation for Parkinson's Research, where we speak to people whose lives have been impacted by Parkinson's disease and hear their stories. My name is Amy Louise Ruffle. I'm an actor, comedian, podcaster, and most importantly, a proud Shake It Up Australia ambassador in support of my dad who lives with Parkinson's. My guest on this episode is a very special one, one that I have had the pleasure of meeting in person at a comedy benefit night we hosted in Melbourne last year. He launched Shake It Up Australia Foundation in 2011 with one mission, to increase awareness and funding in Australia targeted at finding better treatments and ultimately a cure for Parkinson's. So please welcome the founder and CEO of Shake It Up Australia Foundation, Clyde Campbell. Welcome. Thank you for that kind introduction. My first question I feel may not apply as much to you compared to some of our other guests who probably haven't maybe spoken about Parkinson's publicly before, but I usually ask if it's something that people feel comfortable talking about or find it easy to talk about. So I guess going back uh, maybe a little bit into the past, has it always been something that you found uh, easy to talk about? Yeah, for myself, super easy. Really happy to share my story, especially uh, if I can navigate, help others navigate their way through their Parkinson's journey. It's a different disease for everyone and we need to be able to make sure for myself as open as possible. Well, we'll get into all of the Parkinson's chat, but I want to start with a little bit outside of that. Tell us about what you did or do for work and uh, what you do for fun. Yeah, I suppose two big things in my life have always been work and business and uh, family. So um, business, I've been in partnership with my brother since I was 18. Um, we've done two different businesses. Uh, Greg runs our operations up in Lennox Head. So we've got an IGA, a bottle shop, a restaurant and a hotel up that way. And I do our engineering based out of Sydney. Um, so engineering has been our love for many, many years. Uh, we set up a business called Machine Relation and Robotics back in 1987. Uh, and it was to do with robotics and automation, especially vision-guided robotics. Uh, we created uh, solutions that were, were installed in, nationally and also internationally. That sounds very complex. So let's get to the fun part of it. Does the fun involve travelling up to Lennox Head very often? Yeah, family's still up around Lennox and it's great to always catch up. Um, yeah, love to get out and, and exercise, love to run, bike ride, swim, um, paddleboard, uh, take the dog out for a paddleboard. Uh, and yeah, things like ski, we've got a boat in Sydney Harbour. Uh, it's just nice to be able to catch up with people. Yeah, sounds like a lot of outdoor-based activities. <laughs> Yeah, it is. Uh, I love being outdoors and uh, enjoying myself and, yeah, just catching up with people. Uh, it's always great to have a lot of good family and a lot of good friends around you. Makes life worth living, doesn't it? It's all about the people we're around. <laughs> it is. It, it makes a big difference. And, uh, you yeah, those people add so much to your life and you can help them along the way as well. So when do you first remember feeling a change in your health? Yeah, my symptoms come on very differently to most. Uh, they come on very quickly. I was actually doing a opening address as CEO for a robotics company and I had notes in my hand doing the opening address and they started to shake, uh, which is pretty unusual because I'm pretty comfortable in front of people. 
And half the head's going, tough it up, you must be nervous. And the other half the head's going, what the hell's happening here? So I didn't really uh, think too much of it during the day, although I saw the tremor. But then when I went to take a, a beer off a waitress's tray at the end of the day and turn it into a washing machine, I had to hold it in two hands. And um, that was something that, that you know, completely out of the blue for myself. Okay. Now, I did see it actually one week before that. I did a 100K walk for Oxfam Charity. And uh, it was about 70 k's into it, and I started to get cold and tremor. They put a black blanket around me at, the, at that time, and I warmed back up, and I was fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, that was a, only a week apart with the two first symptoms I saw at Parkinson's in my life. Which is interesting because they both came at times where, you know, if you're going for a big walk like that, your body can respond in different ways. Even I'm guessing you were quite fit or on stage other people get nervous and shake their hands. So it's it's really interesting because you could very easily pass them off as just being dependent on the situation. Yeah, yeah especially, uh, I suppose, on the walk, it was just something that was 100K, four mates going for an Oxfam walk. Um, so it was, you know, about 2 o'clock in the morning, we started, you know, 9 a.m. the previous morning, this 100K walk straight through. So, yeah, it's I suppose that pressure on the body at that point in time um, I didn't think a lot of it at the time, and then it, uh, it's come on from there. So from that moment, what was then the road to diagnosis? I'm guessing maybe some more symptoms popped up or more with more frequency. How did you go about getting your Parkinson's diagnosis? I'm a great believer to look after yourself, and if you need a hand, make sure you put, reach out as quickly as you can. I told my wife about it straight, straight after the meeting on the, the Saturday that we actually had the planning day. Um, and said, look, if I fall over, tell the medicators, this is what's happened during the day, but I don't think I'm sick to, to leave the actual conference at that time. So, but, but Monday morning was straight in to see the GP and um, he had that oh no look written right, right across his face when he went through some basic tests with me. And I seen not much for myself but with the kids. And um, I said, mate, just hit me with what you think it is. And he said, look, you're quiet. You look like you've got young onset Parkinson's. And I said, oh, that's didn't really worry me until he got on to the, you know, it's a neurodegenerative disease and there is no cure. Mm-hmm. And that really spoiled my Monday morning. <laughs> I can imagine it's not really the news you were hoping to hear. So what age yeah. were you at this point in time? I was 44 years old, bulletproof healthy. I thought I'd go to 70 or 80 before I had any real health issues. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was something that came right out of the blue. And so was the next step from there for you to find a neurologist? Yes, yeah, so the doctor wanted to refer us to a neuro. Uh, we had to do all our normal brain scans, blood tests. And, and uh, I remember the day we went to see the neuro for, for D-Day, we thought it was what it was going to be. So I walked in the room, sat down. He said, Clyde, the good news is you've got Parkinson's. I said, mate, I'm a pretty positive lad, but I don't see anything positive about having Parkinson's. He said, oh, your two choices were a motor neuron or a brain tumour. I said, oh, mate, I'm starting to feel a love. That could be uh, not a bad thing to have Parkinson's. It's a, it's a choice of three. So that's where it's done. You're saying you're a very positive person. Once you did have that confirmation, how did you feel about that? How was it adjusting to that news? Uh, for myself, uh, yeah, happiness begins with acceptance. Um, you see some really, a lot of people around the world, they don't have a lot, but they can accept where they are. doesn't mean they need to, doesn't mean a lot you like it, uh, but you can accept it. Um, so for myself, I could tick that box really quickly. Uh, I promised myself two things before I put the key in the car coming away from the neuro. When I went in there, I said, I have to be able to accept this uh, or, or, or not, uh, and then what are we going to do about it? So I ticked the box of accept it really quickly. 
Um, coming from an engineering background, I'm really used to fault finding, finding ways to improve things. And just said, yep, I can accept it. Let's get on. And what are we going to do about it? That was crystal clear to me. It was going to be, we're going to find a cure. Next time I'm going to wish for something a little bit simpler. <laughs> so given that Shake It Up started in 2011, what point, what, at what time frame was this and how long between your diagnosis and the genesis of Shake It Up uh, Australia Foundation? Yeah, this was back in 2009 when I first saw it, of early symptoms. Um, so 44 years old at the time. What I looked at is if I'm going to find a cure, um, I've got a great engineering background and really happy with that, but I've got no medical background at all. So I looked around Australia for who was doing research because if we're going to find a way to slow stop or cure the disease, we need research. Found some really good researchers, in my opinion, um, all underfunded, and it, but we did fund them at a higher level. Were they strategically driven uh, and strategically competitive internationally? So I was working in the States on a solar probiotic project we were doing at the time in the Nevada desert. And I teed up to catch up with Michael J. Fox over in New York City uh, the next week. Went and saw them, um, spent two hours with them and come away with, they're the guys that can help us. So it took me 12 months um, of building a relationship with Michael J. Fox. Um, and, yeah, they were they didn't know me from a bar of soap. And uh, so it took 12 months. Their CEO said, Clyde, look, I can see... Uh, you, you, your passion for what you want to do. Um, I, I'm keen to be able to back you as a, as a partner, but we've never done this anywhere else in the world. So you're going to have to come over and convince the board. So Kaz and myself, my wife, went over and um, presented to Michael J. Fox's board, which is 50 people, walked into the room. Uh, Kaz was probably sweating bullets at that point in time. She said, I said, Kaz, what's, what's wrong? She said, what if they don't like me? I said, well, we just leave. <laughs> in New York City, let's have a good time. Yeah, he did our presentation and uh, Michael got up and I've gone, oh, this is either hero or zero. And he said, Clyde, I can see you've got a purity of motive. You've got my vote. <gasps> and with that, I knew I had the other 49 votes in the room. Wow, that's and, incredible. Yeah, it was a great night. Um, we went on and uh, had some cocktails and some appetite, yeah, stand-up uh, snacks and uh, caught up with the rest of the board. Yeah, it was a really nice way to kick things off and get things started. That's fantastic. I can't imagine what presenting in front of 50 people would feel like, but I imagine um, a huge accomplishment. So what is the partnership like with them now? Is that something that's still active? Oh, yes, it grows and it grows every year. Um, we put a lot of effort in and they do too into our partnership of how to be able to um, work with researchers in Australia to make sure their, their ideas are globally competitive. Um, and how we make sure we can get the best use of those ideas and synchronise them with other researchers around the world. Uh, every dollar we raise in Australia gets straight through to the actual researcher, but we also manage to match it with a Fox dollar as well. So it allows us to double our reach of research dollars into Australia. So really important partnership, making sure that the research we're doing here um, is globally competitive is really important. We don't want to do just what's best in our backyard. We need to make sure we're doing the best in the, in the world's backyard. Now, this is definitely a podcast that's about you, but before we get back to that, do you want to give the audience a little update on maybe a project that's going on at the moment that their funding and support would go towards? Yeah, look, we're working with QIMR, Queensland Institute of Medical Research, uh, and it's in regards to uh, how to be able to trace, track Parkinson's from the early days, symptoms, you know, what genetic makeup do you have? So you do a, like a saliva test and they'll do a, do a genome sequence on those tests. Um, but also going back to you know, your 
history of, you know, have you been drunk well water? Have you had head trauma? Um, what viral infections have you had? And just trying to build a, a backup database there of what differences there are in different people with Parkinson's. Um, and that's really important. I think um, some of our research projects in the past may have been successful, but they were statistically failed. You know, maybe 30% of the people on a, on a trial have a good result with the medication. 40% have mediocre and 30% have nothing. But the trial fails statistically. Um, but I don't think that's a failed trial. We just need to make sure we know what that 30% of good responders were, leave them on that drug and then find another drug for the other 70% of the responders. You know, Parkinson's is one disease. It's a multitude of diseases. That's something I'm definitely learning is just how varied the symptoms really are across the board. So speaking of that, what are the symptoms that you are experiencing currently? Yeah, for myself, it's tremor uh, is my, my, my first biggest thing. Uh, loss of energy um, I, you know, I, and uh, not being able to perform at the level you normally want to, to be able to do yourself. That comes, I suppose, with a bit of old age coming on as well, but uh, um, yeah, that's the, the key symptoms for myself at this point in time. And so what does a good day look like? Um, good day always starts with a good sleep. You know, if I can get a good sleep in, I make sure I prioritise sleep, where in the past I probably would have cut back on sleep if I needed more hours in the day. So I try and get myself eight hours sleep. Um, I get up every day and I exercise. Um, so that could be uh, run, gym, bike, paddleboard, uh, try and mix it up um, and, and get out there and enjoy it. Uh, do that for an hour to an hour and a half. Then I'd normally be at the office, you know, eight, nine o'clock and go until six o'clock at night work-wise, and that's foundation. Foundation probably saves about 60% of my time now and 40% in other business areas. Uh, and then it's family time at, at night time when we get to catch back up with the kids and cats. You mentioned um, sleep being an important thing before. Is that something that you have found has changed with your Parkinson's or it's just you want to focus on getting that restorative time? Yeah, it's something that I find really important to give the brain a rest. Um, for myself, sleep's a priority uh, and it's just a matter of how do you make sure you can get a good night's rest. And everyone's going to be different with Parkinson's because there's so many different challenges of having Parkinson's, whether it be from a sleep disorder or other challenges when you're, when you're sleeping with disease. Have you found there's any trick that's worked for you to help get a good night's rest? Um, I suppose it's always make sure well, I sleep very well all the time. Um, now I can go to sleep. I do micro sleep, do 15 minute rest. So no, I don't get on a plane. I'll have 15 minutes sleep. Uh, I always talk kids all the same thing. Uh, get on the plane, have 15 minutes rest, and then let's get, get into it. But it's important to get as best sleep as you can. And I suppose that's putting a, those thoughts to bed. Uh, and trying to put them away from uh, interrupting that sleep at night. Yep, that sounds like a good philosophy. I am not a good sleeper, so I'm very jealous of uh, even the concept of a 15-minute nap. It sounds so foreign and exciting. (laughs) So that's a good day. Tell us about what a not-so-good day looks like when maybe there's a few more challenges. Yeah, I don't have bad days. I think I have bad hours. It's probably more accurate to be able to put it. And that changes every day. You can do the same thing meticulously and have two different results from day to day. Um, and that may be how well you slept, you know, what you're thinking, what you're doing. You know, if you've got a lot more brain activity, if I'm presenting in front of people, I definitely chew more dopamine. At that point in time, the body uses more um, because you're constantly thinking about what's going to next happen. So, yeah, a, a bad day, like yesterday I had throat tremor, um, which is 
not not a big big issue, but it just affects the way you actually speak and uh, and, and frustrates you that you can't speak as well as what you'd like to and what you would have done in the past. So when those hours pop up, which I really love that philosophy, because I think in general, we can really quickly write off a whole day because of a small portion of it. So sort of making them into smaller isolated timeframes allows you to not um, to utilize different parts of the day and not be like, well, you know, didn't go well at 9am. So I might as well give up on the rest of it. But when those hours do pop up, what are some of the things you do to cope with those challenges or get through those times? Yeah, I diarise everything in my day. So I'll understand what went right and what went wrong. Um, yeah, it might be simple things. I used to love coffee, um, but I find coffee now quite stimulates me at different points in time and gives me more tremor. Well, although coffee is meant to be one of the better things for Parkinson's. And, and I love coffee, it's just got to be at the right time. So, But making sure you, you, you can settle down and understand what is going to cause a tremor. A couple of years ago, I was over in Europe doing a presentation, uh, there were six of us on the stage. I was the third presenter and my medication didn't kick in uh, earlier in the day. So I didn't know if I should take another tablet because if I take them too close together, I get dyskinetic and that's even worse than actually um, being tremorish. Uh, and I remember going to see the chair. There was 2,000 people in the room that were presenting to and I said, oh, can you move me back in the order uh, because my, my, I've got this tremor. And he said, no, all the slides are all queued up. You've got to go in your position, which was number three. So I could, uh, the first speaker was there and I was getting tremorish. The second speaker, and I said, I'm just starting to feel better. And fortunately, I just got well enough to be able to get under the stage and do the speech. Doing mouse movements and things like that. And with tremor, you can be all over the shop. And if I'm tre- presenting to people with Parkinson's, I can just be really open and tell them what, what's happening. But to an engineering group that you're trying to tell them the details of the vision-guided robotic system, it's a, a release to their worries to be um, about Parkinson's. So, yeah, some of those things uh, you need to do your best with at that point in time, but also learn from them to make sure you don't make the same mistakes again. Yeah, which is where I'm guessing the diary comes in handy because all the days can really blend. So if you've got a, a written record of it, I'm sure that's very helpful. Yeah, that, that one was caused actually by you know, having different breakfasts and uh, foods that um, get processed in different ways. And uh, yeah, don't change things up when you're on a winning run. If you're going to change it, change it at the time that you can afford to have things go wrong. Yeah, you can do a test and um, if there's different results, it's not going to impact something as, as grand as that. <laughs> yeah, just to make it, it makes it a little bit easier, easier on yourself. So what's the response been from the people in your community, your family, friends, co-workers, uh, since your diagnosis? Oh, look, everyone processes that in a different way. Um, I remember talking to the kids about it uh, very early. I'm a great believer in uh, don't have secrets, just get, get everything out there. I'd much rather be say, look, this is who I am, this is what it is. I sat down with the kids and we explained to them that uh, Parkinson's was I'd been diagnosed with and... Joshy said, Dad, are you okay? I said, mate, he was only 10 at the time. I said, mate, I'm, I'm okay, but if I need a hand, I'll let you know. So that's okay. So that's boy stuff. And then Zoe was about eight, seven or eight, and uh, Zoe's just quite soft and quite emotional. <laughs> she said, no, I'm all okay. And you can just see written across her face. That wasn't the case. And she come back to me two weeks later and said, Dad, are you going to die? Because that's what Parkinson's meant to her. She, she got didn't hear the word Parkinson's, she heard the word disease. Um, and uh, that she thought that was a, she was going to lose her dad. Uh, Phoebe at the time just didn't really process it until uh, she was three or four. 
Um, but Phoebe's even last week, she was uh, driving some friends to rowing. She's just got a license. Um, and there were some uh, shake it up documents on the back seat of the car. And uh, one of her friends said, oh, what, what are these here for, Phoebe? And said, oh, my dad's got Parkinson. And she said, oh, that must be really sad. And she said, no, no, he's okay. He just gets on with it. And the kids are just, yeah, they, kids don't think of, if they were to explain it, or I suppose think of me, they don't think Parkinson's number one. They think of a whole of other things, and then down the list is Parkinson's. It affects us most definitely, and it's part of our life, but it's not our my whole life. And I think it's one of those things too, like you're saying, she heard disease and we have maybe this idea of what we think Parkinson's is, and it's not it doesn't present that way in every person because it's different. So what are some of the misconceptions you think uh, are sort of out there about Parkinson's? Yeah, I suppose there's two for myself. One, a lot of people think Parkinson's is an old person's disease, uh, and that's just not the case. You know, 20% of us are below 50 when we're diagnosed, and Michael was 29 at the time he was diagnosed. Yeah, and the second one is it's just a tremor, um, where the tremor is the least of my, our, our issues realistically. It's a whole of body disease. Um, I'm very fortunate that I don't get any of the depression um, side of things that many people do. And we need to make sure we're looking after those people in the time of need. Absolutely. And what are some of the interventions you found helpful? You've mentioned medication. You're very active. So I'm guessing maybe some physical therapy as well, group classes, psychology. What have you engaged in? Yeah, most definitely increase my exercise. I uh, always loved exercise, but I prioritise exercise and prioritise sleep, uh, whereas those were the two areas that when you're busy, they're the easiest ways to find hours, cutting sleep, cutting exercise, because it's easy to grow. Um, but that, that, they get prioritised now um, to make sure I get, get a decent sleep, get an exercise in. And exercise for myself, I think, does a couple of things. It pumps the meds around the body, but also oxygenate, oxygenates the brain. And there's no one that I've found has got a negative feedback on exercise. Everyone's positive on it. It's just a matter of what do what you can afford to do yourself. Not everyone can get out there and run a marathon. You know, I used to be able to do high-level exercise. You've got to back it off and do what you're comfortable with uh, at this point in time. And, uh, and it seems change going forward. I always think of that thing of like you're always doing more than if you're sitting on the couch. So it doesn't matter if it's <laughs> it doesn't have to be the marathon, but you're doing more if you're doing anything. Correct. It's a matter of then build on it. You, know, you don't need to get out there and break records day one, but if you don't like exercise normally in your life, how do you do something that you can do, that's something you like? Or even if you don't like it, how do you do small amounts of it that you can build on it? But it is important to get out there and move. So for someone that's just being diagnosed, what would you say to them? Do you have any advice? Yeah, I think probably it's a, the good news is a slow progression disease, uh, which gives us time to find ways to slow, stop and cure it. Find ways that add value to your life on a daily basis and understand that you can't control everything that happens to you, but you can control what everything means to you and there's a big difference. Well, that's incredible advice for anyone, Parkinson's or otherwise. I think that's a wonderful philosophy to try and adopt in general. Yeah, it is. I think the attitude is everything for myself anyway. You've got to make sure you get out there and give it your best crack. You know, like not every day is going to be perfect, but you don't have to have perfect days. They're learning days. You can learn a heck of a lot. and There's a hell of a lot, a lot more people worse off than yourself when you look around the world. And there's some of those people that are worse off are still pretty happy people. So get off your ass and enjoy. <laughs> I love that. Well, you are very 
your positivity is infectious, Clyde. I love it. Um, and my last question for you is what brings you joy? What brings you happiness? Yeah, what makes me happy is really to fulfill my purpose. And that's three pretty simple things. Um, I always say you've got to enjoy the present. You've got to design the future. And I need to make an incredible difference to everyone close to me. And if I do all those three things, it makes me happy. Amazing. Well, you've made me happy today. So thank you so much for joining us on the show. And I know that this will have meant a lot to the people listening too. Oh, more than welcome and uh, yeah, more than happy to be able to talk to people around Australia and around the world about Parkinson's. You know, it's something that we can share, something that we've got in common, but it, no, it's not the same for everyone. So what works for one person may not work for you, but just you need, you need to do your best to be able to find what can make tomorrow a better day than what today can be. Absolutely. And that's why this podcast, I think, is really valuable because, you know, this week we're hearing how you've experienced it. Next week we'll hear how someone else does. And hopefully we can start telling these stories of the different versions of it so it's not a misconception of diagnosis. Not, not very much so. There's a lot of learning out there and you can learn a lot from people. Uh, I've been always a great believer. If you listen more than you actually speak, you can do a hell of a lot more. Um, there's some very good teachers out there and people that will give up a lot of their time to be able to make sure they can assist you on your way. Beautiful. Well, thank you again. We have CEO and founder of Shake It Up Australia Foundation, Clyde Campbell. Thank you so much. Cheers, Amy. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Shake It Up Australia funds groundbreaking research that aims to slow, stop and cure Parkinson's disease. And they need your help. Throughout April, you can support the Pause for Parkinson's campaign and pledge a donation or participate in fundraising or clinical trials. So to support Shake It Up's vision of a world without Parkinson's, head to shakeitup.org.au forward slash podcast to get involved. Together, we can find a cure.